the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation with me today in studio, Pastor Andy and Sarah Madsen. They are co-planting a brand new church launch. Um, this new church plan to be happening in North Oakland. They will initially begin meeting at Oakland International High School. First service will be Sunday, March the 24th. Details on the web at Reunion Oak. Abbreviation for Oakland, reunionoak.com. Uh, you're going to give this a little breathing space. We were talking off air. You're not going to launch in and plow through, okay, first Sunday and every Sunday thereafter. You'll have the first Sunday service, and then you're going to kind of meet, talk about what went well, what didn't work, what we need to change. Really constantly, seemingly like you want to be sensitive, again, as we've been discussing, to the needs of the church community. Yeah, what's been what's been encouraged and coached uh, to us is to have um, a process that's that's spread out at the beginning, so that there's time to try things out and then to get together and evaluate. Hey, how was that? Do we want to change anything up? And especially for folks who've never done this before, that you have asked to be on this team with you to get this started, um, that's a lot easier for them to to say yes to to say, okay, so you're saying that there's going to be time to learn, to evaluate, to change things up. And we're not just going to jump in and do this every single week because once you start meeting every single week, there's there's really no time to uh, to, to change things up and to think big picture because you're just in the middle of it. And you're committed to it. And then at that point, it's like, well, we'd like to change it, but, you know, there's not enough time. Well, yes. we'll worry about that next week, and next yes. week never comes. It never does. It never does. So, yeah, we're, we'll meet once a month uh, for what we're calling a preview service. And it's, uh, it's like you might think like a, a sneak preview for a coming attraction for a movie or something like that, where it gives people a sense for where this is going. Um, but then there's time in between for the team to get together and to make plans and to pray and to uh, evaluate things, to invite other people uh, into the mix. And then also just time for us to connect and have fun. We're going we're gonna to all go to an A's game together and, and hang out um, beforehand and just eat and have fun as a group. And for people to go, I, re- I really I like these guys and I'm connecting with them. I'm making friendships. And, and then, then we get together again for a church gathering. And, um, and then opportunities to serve at the school where we're going to meet at Oakland International High. Um, there's a lot of openness to volunteer opportunities there, and these teachers and the staff there are, are heroes. They serve um, the refugee immigrant population of Oakland, so it's a very vulnerable group of people, and uh, God's heart is for the vulnerable, so we go, great. Thank you, God, for this open door to be among people who are new here and are vulnerable, and we can um, come alongside them where they're at and assist their teachers and just say, hey, how can we get, help you guys do your job and uh, free you guys up by being generous with you or volunteering? hearing at different things that you're putting up. We're not just asking you to come to our thing. We want to show up at your stuff. What I like about the approach here, and we began the conversation an hour ago by my asking, why Oakland? I mean, why are you doing a church plant? Don't you know the statistics? And, and your your answer, as I'm learning over the course of our conversation, Pastor Madison, is that why not Oakland? Yeah. And in fact, where, where the need is greatest, there we should be. Yeah, we see that woven into both of our stories. Um, Sarah grew up in Oakland. 
Yeah, I grew up in Oakland, and uh, my family life was defined by chaos and um, a lot of a lot of dysfunction. And we actually did um, attend a local church, but I would say we didn't really know anybody there. Um, we weren't really plugged in, and. Um, we never, I don't know, I never read the Bible. I didn't really understand a lot of what we were doing, they didn't the really significance know how to, of it. They didn't really know how to even uh, come alongside and minister to a blended family and all the unique challenges you guys were facing at home. Yeah, and when my mom, when they, we, my mom went through uh, her divorce, I think she got a pretty clear uh feeling that we weren't really welcome there anymore. So she started this kind of church hunt, and I even went with her to a few of these churches that she visited. And we just never really found a new home. You know, the the places we visited, nothing really felt like a fit. And so when Andy and I were dating, actually, many years later, I became a Christian. I was totally involved in church, and I started... um, I met this wonderful man and started hanging out with him. He said, you know, one thing that's really important to me, I feel like God has placed the city of Oakland on my heart, and I don't know what that's going to look like in the future, but I just know that this is something that he has he has uniquely called me to. How do you feel about that? And I said, well, that's awesome because I grew up in Oakland, you know, and I came uh, I came out of a lot of brokenness. And I think having a church home would have helped tremendously. A church home like the one I was where we come from, uh, like Cornerstone Fellowship, that really cares for and ministers to people in so many different places of brokenness. And um, like we were talking about, kind of cares for them to a point where they can then step into calling and purpose because they know that they're loved by God and well, they know. Look at the example of Christ. I mean, throughout uh, the, the 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 pages that depict his ministry on earth, he was surrounded by brokenness and he talked to and ministered to that brokenness at every level. Be it the woman with the issue of blood, to the woman at the well, to you know healing the blind, to giving—I uh, mean, uh, uh, bringing sight to the blind or healing the lame. I mean, everywhere Christ was surrounded by brokenness. And is it interesting to note that he could have led with, "I am the one that you've been told of. I am here to provide the ultimate sacrifice that all of you, through my work on the cross, might be forgiven and reconciled unto the Father." And while all of that is true, he began by ministering to the felt needs. He began by addressing the brokenness Mm -hmm. that he found, recognizing that as you're able to minister to that layer of brokenness here on the horizontal plane, that eventually then, as we enter into the richness of our relationship with Christ, um, we then find healing to the brokenness of our relationship with God, which, of course, then ultimately is everything. Yeah, we just we we take so much encouragement not only from Jesus the healer, all the examples that you're mentioning, um, but also uh, it just seems like Jesus he's not only not afraid to touch people who are sick and supposedly contagious, he's also not afraid to get his church started in really unlikely places. Mm-hmm. And so the the story in with Matthew, really unlikely that's people. What I was say. Yes, oh my exactly. Gosh. Yeah. If they had called a a you know the 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 church pulpit committee together, mm-hmm. they would not have selected any of yeah. this 12 yeah. of, of, of Raggedy Ann. Exactly. Jesus, you're, yeah, Jesus, you're, you're yeah. people picker. 
Baker. I, I yeah, don't. I'm not yeah. so sure about that. <laughs> you're not going to be in charge Let's of our talk company. about this tax yeah. collector. I know. People. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. And you're going to put him together with a zealot. This is not going to work well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So in Matthew 16, Jesus, he's in Caesarea Philippi, and um, if you if you do any research into what the city was like and what it was all about, it was one of those places where you went to make mistakes on purpose. It was one of those places where you might say, "What happens in Caesarea Philippi stays mm-hmm. in Caesarea Philippi." It was dark. The worship was oppressive and backwards and just really evil and awful and dehumanizing. And in that space, Jesus is standing on this big rock platform. And there's – if you go there and visit someday ever on an Israel uh, pilgrimage trip, you'll see there's this gigantic cave that looks like the mouth of a monster. And the pagan worshipers would throw their sacrifices into the mouth of this cave. And they were believing that they were throwing this sacrifice into the mouth of the underworld itself. They called it the Gates of Hades. And so Jesus in this very spot where the worship is just dark and evil and gross, he's standing on this rock in front of the Gates of Hades and he says, I'm to build on this rock my church and the gates of Hades doesn't stand a chance um, against what I'm, I'm going to do. And then he says to his disciples, and, and I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Uh, so not only am I going to build a, a church in an unlikely spot, not only am I, my, is my kingdom going to spring up in places where you never thought it would take root, but also I'm looking for partners in this, and I'm giving you the keys. And so we've, we've, this, this picture has really spoken to our team, and we've given everybody these key necklaces, and Sarah and I are even wearing them now. And what's been cool about this is that these keys um, are actual Oakland keys that o- opened up different residences um, in the past. And so in one sense, it's a key to the city. But then we stamped into these crown, uh, these 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 uh, keys a crown to remember that Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom, and so anything that somebody is facing, uh, they can remember. Keys are a picture of authority, and it's a picture of trust. It's the ability to open up a locked door, something that's been shut to you in the past. And, and then it's also a picture of trust. Jesus is saying, I don't want to do this all by myself. I'm looking for partners to do this with me. And so we, we, we say, whatever I'm facing, where I have questions, where I'm lacking courage, where I, I'm lacking wisdom, I don't know what to do, not only is God asking me and trusting me to partner with him, but he has every resource that I need for what's ahead. And he loves to plant church is in unlikely places, and he loves to call unlikely people to be a part of it with him. It sounds like it's going to be a, uh, an exciting foundation to this ministry. And again, I want to mention to listeners, you're going to lead off with the first service Sunday, March the 24th. That'll be hosted at Oakland International High School. What time, Steve? At 10 a.m. At, uh, at 10 a.m. And uh, the Saturday before, in fact, this Saturday. Yes, this Saturday. You're, you're sa- Saturday at 6 o'clock, you're having tacos with the pastor. Is tacos with the, the pastor. Too? Yeah, oh, absolutely. If you love uh, tacos or burritos, um, we're going to get together at Best Coast Burritos in North Oakland. I'm going to do that at 6 o'clock this Saturday. And this is just an opportunity for anybody who maybe wants to check out the church, wants to meet some people who go there and ask some questions before they show up. Um, it's a very casual setting to just enjoy some tacos, have some conversation, ask anything about this to see, is this for me? Is is this place in my future? Is this where my next step for me? And, uh, yeah, we just would love to meet anybody and everybody. And if you bring yourself and some friends, I will pick up the check. Ooh, yeah, right. and this is a good opportunity for someone who would consider themselves a missional leader. If you're mm-hmm. somebody who lives in or around Oakland and you really care about your neighbors, knowing the gospel, knowing the good news of God's grace for them, um, come and, and hang out with Andy. Um, get a taco. You know, who doesn't love tacos? And let's talk about what's possible for the future of uh, Reunion Oakland and 
and ministry in Oakland. Tremendous sense of vision, and you can be a part of it. Again, uh, Tacos with Pastor, that'll be Saturday, March 16th. Details available on the website, reunionoak.com. That's reunionoak.com. I'd like to thank both Pastor Andy and Sarah Madsen for uh, being with us today in studio. Our pleasure, Greg. uh, Congratulations once again on the uh, the new family edition, (laughs) soon to be. All right, let's step aside, get you updated on some traffic right now. 19 past the hour, the latest for you. Here's Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Interesting research that's out that I suspect if you look at the world around us here in the United States and read the headlines with any frequency, you'd probably see that, uh, yeah, this this sort of rings true, at least um, spiritually speaking. Um, We take an examination of what's going on within the evangelical church today, and um, George Barna, of course, who's done a wonderful job down through the years documenting trends within uh, the Christian world in general and and evangelicalism in specific down through the years. Um, More recently, uh, one of his surveys coming out that demonstrates, and this ought to set all of us back on our heels that identify as evangelicals, that less than five of us um, in a typical church are personally involved with evangelism. And a typical church, by the way, that identifies as evangelical in nature, <laughs> less than 2% of their budget is dedicated to, you guessed it, evangelism. So when you take the evangel out of evangelical or evangelism, what are you left with? And what about the mandate to the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's time for some re-examination as to whether or not we are engaged in the kind of reach that we ought to be. My uh, guest here in this segment of the program uh, probably grows weary of being introduced as the gentleman who's the president of the organization that runs the Christian radio station in Quito, Ecuador. But the irony, of course, is that um, given the 80-plus year incredible outreach that this ministry has had uh, through radio and other means, uh, that's probably not a bad thing to be referenced to. He is Wayne Pedersen. He is president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, and he's got a new book of the same title, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And Wayne, great to have you on the program. Well, thanks, Greg. It's a privilege to be on with you on, on uh, this afternoon and uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in extraordinary ways around the world with the whole global shift from uh, the, the real evangelism and missions that has shifted to the global south. And the greatest growth of the church today is not in Europe and North America, but in places like South America, Asia, and Africa. And it's amazing, too, and maybe a big wake-up call for those of us here in in the Christian West, whether we're talking about Europe or or North America, that we kind of think that uh, we're sort of the standard-bearer, the the paradigm-setter for um, what evangelicalism or evangelism rather ought to look like. And, 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 And certainly while, you know, we've played a significant role down through the years, God has been doing some exciting things in some exciting ways that are maybe perhaps by, uh, well, by Western standards, a little bit out of the norm, and yet very much within his norm. Well, it was 100 years ago that 90% of uh, followers of Jesus lived in North America or Europe, and those numbers have almost reversed in the last 100 years, where now about 70% of believers live outside of the North America and Europe, 
uh, there in Africa, where the church is growing uh, fantastically, in Asia and Latin America. And now many of those countries are sending missionaries back to North America to some of the immigrants that have come into our country from these other countries. And uh, the top mission-sending country in the world is Brazil. The second most uh, mission-sending country is Korea. So we're seeing kind of the reverse flow of missionary activity coming back to this country. And as our country becomes more and more secular and materialistic, we're seeing uh, God working in, in previously unreached places of the world. Let's talk about how that paradigm shift has taken place, and, and most notably, perhaps, what we as the Church in America um, and and the West can learn from it. Uh, I mean, there's always kind of been a, a pattern to the way we have engaged in outreach and evangelism. I think, for example, of, of some of the history of HCJB and kind of taking the, the approach of going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ— in the case of this, using radio as a means to most effectively across those borders and accomplish all of that. And yet today, even as much as we've seen a changing face of what evangelical Christianity looks like around the globe, even the ministry of, um, well, now Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, that's even changed a bit too, hasn't it? Well, our strategy is much different where uh, we used to be very Ecuador-centric, Quito-centric, and we brought missionaries in from all over the world to go to Quito and then use shortwave broadcasting to send the message to places like uh, Europe, Russia, Africa, Asia. Today, the strategy is much more working with local partners, training indigenous people that know the language and know the culture. Most everything we do at Reach Beyond today is through a local partner. And because they're already there and they can live on $100 a month, which is the average salary, and because they already know the language and the culture, they don't have to go to language school. They don't have to take 10 years to learn the culture. And with the right equipment and the right training, uh, they can reach their peers with the gospel of Christ. Even as we speak, we have a team over in the most populous Muslim country in the world, in Indonesia, and they're training about 28 young media professionals on how to own and run and manage a radio station. And when we leave, those 28 new, newly trained leaders will be uh, reaching their countrymen, and they're seeing those stations are seeing an average of three to five people a day come to Christ at each of their stations. And churches are being planted throughout Indonesia, and former Muslims are leading other Muslims to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, imams are uh, becoming followers of Jesus and teaching about Jesus in the mosque. And it's an amazing thing that is happening as Christianity is spreading rapidly into these former countries that were strongholds for other false religions. Well, and as you indicate, Wayne, I mean, while the message is the same, it is timeless of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his um, substitutionary work on the cross on behalf of my, mankind that we might be reconciled unto the Father. Um, that That has never changed. But the methodology uh, is changing. And I, and I would wonder what the likes of a Hudson Taylor, uh, who was so uh, responsible in the 1800s for bringing the gospel to China, uh, would think of the indigenous church in China today that is largely all run by nationals. I mean, we know that there are certainly no, uh, no missionary schools there. There are no seminaries there. There are... Uh, at least of, of the ones that are above ground, the legal ones, the three-self church 
movement is all controlled by the government, and yet here you are with a nation that is largely devoid of much of the way that we do, quote-unquote, church in the West. It's one of the fastest-growing churches on planet Earth, and it's all being done at the hands of nationals. Isn't it interesting, Craig, how, uh, I mean, it's always been true, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and some of the fastest-growing spread of Christianity in the world are in, are in countries where there is persecution. And uh, one outstanding example is Iran, where uh, 25 years ago they could identify only about 400 believers. And today, and largely through social media, using uh, Skype and texting and Facebook and other means, plus uh, broadcasting the gospel from outside of the country with medium wave, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians, and Iran is the fastest-growing uh, Christian country in the world, percentage-wise. And some of the stand countries where there's heavy persecution, the Church is uh, multiplying in fantastic ways. So persecution doesn't seem to stop the growth of the Church. In fact, it's just the opposite, where there is opposition in places. Uh, we're working in a place like Nepal, which uh, six years ago was a Hindu-controlled government, and the Maoists came in and overthrew that government, established a democratic republic, and now we're able to go in and start radio stations and health clinics in a country that was formerly completely closed to the gospel. So these are amazing days we're living in today, and God has given us these amazing media tools, uh, not only radio, but satellite and Internet and social media, with which we can share Christ in some of the most uh, formerly closed places of the world. And of course, this all gives an underlying lesson, perhaps, uh, a wake-up call of sorts to the Church in the West um, for ourselves and the enormous amount of missions work that we have to do, uh, not necessarily overseas, while that's certainly um, on the the to-do list, um, more and more so right here at home. I'll never forget years ago uh, running into a group of uh, Christians that uh, were in China, and uh, in the course of conversation, asked them what uh, they felt the Lord had called them to do, and uh, without exception, uh, each and every one of these um, young college-age individuals indicated that they felt God had called them to be missionaries to the United States. Uh, What an amazing turn of events where in the 1800s here, uh, um, the likes of Hudson Taylor were traveling to China, bring the gospel message, and now um, the very fruit of his labor hundred and something years later, now feels burdened to turn around and come to the United States to bring the gospel message here. One of the things that uh, we strive to do at Reach Beyond, and that's kind of the the whole underlying theory of the book, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ, is to call the Church of Jesus Christ in North America to a stronger commitment to reach the unreached. Uh, I was involved, uh, as you may know, uh, Craig, in Christian radio for many, many years in this uh, country, until uh, God called me to this work six years ago, and the verse God used was Romans fifteen twenty, where Paul said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Christ is not known. So in our book, we have what we're calling our mission manifesto, and it's a call to action to ourselves and to the Church in this country Uh, For example, we state, we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transforms them through the media they use. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ died suffer from pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. 
And we say we refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. When common sense is protect yourself and stay in your comfort zone, we put on the armor of God and storm the gates of hell for the sake of the unreached, if that's what's required. Our conversation today with Wayne Peterson, we're talking about um, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mandate here in the 21st century to go into all the world, and um, how in many respects, while the message clearly remains the same, the methodology is changing. What are some of the lessons that we can learn here at home in America? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Uh, Wayne Peterson is with us today. He is president of Reach Beyond. You know the ministry uh, commonly as uh, HCJB, located in Quito, Ecuador. Of course, this ministry has been global and impacting the world for Christ for a better part of 80-plus-something oh, years now. Wayne has written a new book called Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And as we were articulating prior to the break, while clearly the message of the gospel, the hope of Christ, remains the same, the methodology of how that message is communicated and delivered has changed uh, quite significantly. And and the interesting thing is we've seen this paradigm shift, uh, Wayne, in the mission field, where now really it's largely the, the tremendous success of nationals uh, that are leading to this almost um, uh, wildfire of of uh, growth of the church in, in many parts of the world, there might be some important lessons that we here in the West can draw from what we're seeing happening in, in places like Central and South America, Asia, China, elsewhere. Well, absolutely. And uh, we are learning from our friends in places like Asia, Africa, and South America. In some ways, they put us to shame with their boldness uh, in parts of North Africa where we work and help deliver programs uh, through uh, satellite. Uh, we have local partners on the ground that work below the radar, and we don't identify them in any way. Often we disguise their voices. But if I were there, I would be praying like mad for protection. You know what they pray for, Craig? They pray for boldness, mm. not safety. And we're so safety conscious in this country, but in that part of the world, they, they just pray, Lord, make us bold in our witness, and they don't take any unnecessary chances. But uh, last year we had one of our radio uh, producers that uh, was turned into the authorities. They arrested him, put him in jail. Uh, in jail, somebody recognized his voice from the radio broadcast and beat him because he was a follower of Jesus. And through a series of miracles, he was released in a couple of months and returned to his family. Uh, the stories don't always end that way. We know that there are people that are arrested, beaten, and sometimes killed because they follow Jesus. Uh, one of our uh, radio partners in that part of the world was listening to one of our broadcasts uh, on satellite, and his father discovered that he was uh, listening and on the website and said, Son, do you really believe this stuff? And he says, Yes, Father, I do. He didn't deny it. He just said, Yes, I believe it. And he beat his son, threw him out of the house uh, with only what he had on his back. And that young man, uh, going through the streets half naked at night, uh, no home, no family. There was a light on in a house, and in a country that's less than 1% Christian, knocked at the door, and a Christian family took him in. 
and uh, healed his wounds and fed him and clothed him and got him into school. Today, this young man is producing programs for us in the Arabic language and reaching his countrymen. I mentioned earlier, uh, we often digitally disguise the voices of those so they won't be recognized. We offer to disguise his voice, and he says, no, I've already been beaten for following Jesus. You can let my voice go out as it is. So this is why I think we can learn something. You know, we have social persecution in this country, and we feel we're discriminated against, and that's true. However, in many parts of the world, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus can cost you your family, your job, or even your life. Yeah, ironically, it is more of a picture of what the first century church looked like um, than certainly anything that we've known of recent years. And, and, and maybe perhaps that sense of, of purpose that is motivated by uh, results, motivated by a passion for Christ and a desire to serve Him above, above all else, um, is exactly what the Lord wants of us in, in these uh, these times when uh, there's a better part of, what, almost two and a half billion people that have yet to hear the gospel message. And we know that while certainly a lot of them lie in that, that all-critical 1040 window, uh, growing numbers of them are right here at home, right here as our next-door neighbors in North America, aren't they? Well, and that's the other thing we can learn uh, in this country, because the mission field is now coming to us. And many of the immigrants that are coming to this country, I don't know how you feel about the immigration issue, but many are coming, and they are interested in our culture. Many are coming from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and finding Christ in this country because they're interested in the culture. Many that are coming are already believers and are starting churches, and they have come to this country to escape persecution or to have a better life and starting churches and reaching other immigrants with the gospel. So uh, I don't think uh, the the story is over for the United States of America. I think we're going to see a spiritual harvest come here as uh, the rest of the world reaches out to our very materialistic, hedonistic, secular society in this country. Yeah, and as you point out, the mission field is literally coming to us, and the amazing thing is that then God can use this as these people influence their friends um, and family members back home, wherever their nation of origin might be, and we see the continuing cycle of the outreach of the gospel. Uh, great book, and if you'd like to get more information about it, um, you can do so by going to reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Take a moment, if you would, Wayne, as our time winds down together, and tell us a bit about the I Refuse campaign. Well, the uh, I referred to that a bit earlier. The I Refuse is our mission manifesto, and if you go to our website, you'll be able to read that manifesto. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points. And we're looking for 100,000 followers of Jesus that will go online and sign that manifesto. And the I Refuse campaign is we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transform them. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ dies suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. We refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. We'll put on the armor of God and pray for the unreached uh, so that more may come to know Jesus. And if you want to know more about the I Refuse, this is a call to the Church in America to take a stand to share the good news with the dark places around the world. And we invite many of your listeners to your show, Craig, that they would go online and sign this manifesto and make that commitment to reach the unreached around the world and even across the street. 
And again, information available on the web at reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Wayne's new book, by the way, of a similar title. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area through Amazon.com and, of course, through reachbeyond.org. Wayne Pedersen, president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB. Thank you for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.